God, as we see that drama, I'm guessing that all of us can relate to it in some way. Maybe we saw ourselves up there. Or maybe we saw uh, our, our spouse or an aunt or a grandma, someone who just goes over the top with Christmas. But we all feel it. We all feel that rush. We all feel that pressure. We all need that silent night. And God, as we enter this season, we ask that you would, um, that you would speak to us, especially this morning as we're gathered together, that you would nudge us and change us, that you would pull us toward yourself and pour, toward a more sane, sane, rich, deep life. So speak to us today. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we're starting this brand new series called Finding Christmas. And, uh, and I know what you thought when you came in this morning. You looked at the stage and you said, man, Christmas came and it threw up on our stage. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what all this means is, is, is all of this represents all the stuff that we feel at Christmas time, all coming down on us at, at, at one time, and it's quite the barrage. And the challenge of Christmas is to actually find it in the, the cacophony of Christmas, in all the sales and all the action and all the specials and all the TV and all the pressure and all the church stuff you got to do. And yeah, you got to do it. Don't, I, you know, no skipping out. All of the stuff that goes along with the holiday that makes us miss the holy moment. And that's what we want to focus on in these next, these next weeks together. So today we're going to talk about this, this rush thing. You figured it out already, where we're headed, what we're going to be fighting against today. Next week we're going to talk about finding Christmas in the shadow, which really means when things aren't going well, when you've got some shadow of pain, suffering, or evil over you, how do you find Christmas then? And then week three is, is in the dysfunction, right? And... You just got done with Thanksgiving. You were with your families. You know what I'm talking about, the dysfunction, right? We all do, right? And then Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about finding Christmas in our, in our hearts. So um, I'm showing you that now, mostly so that not only do you know what's coming, but my dream is that you would invite somebody and that, and that you would go, you, someone who needs to find Christmas, invite them to come. It may be a neighbor, co-worker, might be a relative, friend, but invite them and i think that that we're uh, i think it's going to be a good series i think it's going to be a good celebration together so today we're going to talk about the fact that we have a problem and you already know what the problem is it is the volume of christmas the noise of christmas that gets in the way of the moment of christmas and the way we're kind of expressing it, it just creates this rush stress over the top kind of feeling um, from to-do lists or and, and i already some of, i know some of you are already feeling it. I have a relative that starts her Christmas preparations in April, May, right? April, May. You know what she would have said about the drama, about this gal? She procrastinated. That's her problem. (laughs) Can I just tell you, that is not the problem. There are other problems. Let me let me give you a quote. I mean, I, I sometimes I'll read Christian quotes, and I don't usually share them with you, but this one was so, it was so bad I had to share it with you, okay? So, so here, it might be the worst Christ, Christian quote ever. It says, if you have too much to do, with God's help, you will find time to do it all. Right? So if you have a problem with doing it all, what that means is that you're not trusting God, you're not devoted to God enough, because if you are really trusting God, he will help you do it all, right? Which goes along another kind of concept, which is, and also to have it all. 
And I'm, I just got to tell you the truth. I don't think God wants you to have it all. I don't think he wants you to do it all. So we're going to talk about that today. This is what I want to work on today. I want to work on, I hope you leave at a lower RPM level than you came in today and that more sanity instead of craziness. Now, I want to ask you a question about you and our culture, but you can start with just, just you. Which is a higher priority for us? Which is a higher value, hospitality or privacy? You don't have to answer it out loud. Just think in your own mind. For you, which is a higher value. Be honest about it if you can. I'm going to be. I'm going to go first. I'll, you can share later in your family systems or small groups. But I will tell you, for for me, and I almost hate to admit this. I mean, they're both important to me, but privacy is probably gaining more and more traction. And I hesitate to tell you that because some of you are going to end up at my house during the next year for some event, and you're going to go, well, what Doug really wants is privacy right now. So I've got to give you a visual cue on how to recognize that. If I put my pajamas on, <laughs> that is the symbol I've used for many, many years now of it's time for you to go home or cuddle in. It's your choice, right? But which in our culture is the higher, the higher value, hospitality or, or privacy? I'm guessing I'm not alone. I'm guessing that, that our culture, American culture, is leaning more and more towards towards privacy. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. That's just my read on it. If you go back to biblical times, and if you go to Middle East cultures today and many other cultures, it's not that way. The value in Scripture, when you read about things going on, you need to know the value on hospitality was, was huge. And I'm going to take you back to the, some of the earliest stuff in the Bible for a moment, and, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 18. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to open it, you've got your phones, you can go ahead and read along, but, or you can just follow on the screens. But here's what it says, Genesis 18, 1 through 8. Uh, it says, The Lord appeared again to Abraham. So that's how far back we're going, right? To Abraham. So it's before the Jewish nation. It's, it's just Abraham and Sarah. That's the beginning of everything else you read in Scripture, you know, pretty much from then on. Uh, about what God is doing among the Jewish people and for the, and for the world and bringing Jesus in. So the Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. Now you know where that is, right? <laughs> None of us know where that is. In fact, nobody knows for sure exactly where that is. But if I was to show you that map of Israel, if you were here last week, you know that below that red line is the wilderness, right? You don't want to live there. And then above that line is more hospitable. It's more. It's friendlier place to live. More water specifically. Uh, the farming is a challenge no matter where you go. I I personally think. But so that's where Jerusalem is now. When when Abraham came, it wasn't Jerusalem. There was a village there, a little town there, but it wasn't Jerusalem. But I just give you that for modern day reference point. The place where we think Abraham was was right near the line. So it's a very very hot, arid, dry place to live. A place called Hebron, and he. He probably lived right there at this point in time. They were a little bit nomadic, but they had set their tents up, and they were kind of camping out here. This, is, this was camp. This was home pretty much. So here's what goes on next verse. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the hottest part of the day. Why does hottest matter? Because it's really, really hot. It's sort of like if, if we said to somebody, yeah, it was January, and it was the coldest day of the winter. right? We would all know. Why is that relevant? Because we're talking about really cold. You know, and, and we don't think anybody south of Iowa understands what we're talking about. They think we live in igloos, right? So one day they're in the hottest part of the day, and he looked up and he noticed three men, right? Just as three men were standing nearby. You know, you're minding your own business. You're at your tent. Look up. Three strangers. You don't, don't know them. Now, this is just remarkable what happens next to me. It says, when he saw them, he ran to meet them on the hottest day of the year. He ran to meet them, and he welcomed them 
bowing low to the ground. He goes out of his way in, in their culture how to respectfully welcome somebody to, to his tent, to his camp, to his, his place. And he said, my Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. What's he saying? Hey, we're going to bring water. That's like a swimming pool. And the shade of the tree is like our air conditioner. That's all we've got. But this is, it's hot out. We're going to cool you down. We're going to clean you up if you'll allow us to do that. And he goes on. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare. Let me, you know, I highlight certain words. Let me prepare some food. You know, we've got to get you some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. And I like the fact that he put that in. He's kind of like, if you see me in my pajamas, it's time for you to leave, right? We're going to get you some food. We're going to clean you up. But, I, but don't, don't forget, you are leaving, and you are going on in your, on your journey. It's important. Same thing when you visit the Mathers, all right? So, all right, they said, do as you have said. So they go, we'll, we'll receive your hospitality. And this is where the story to me gets a lot more interesting. So Abraham ran back to the tent, and he got water for their feet, and he began kneading dough for the bread. Anybody's Bible say something different than that? Because I made that up. Here's what really happened. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, right? Hey, guys, stay for some food. Sarah, (laughs) hurry, get three sias. Now, that probably doesn't say that in your Bible, but that's the original Hebrew. Get three sias of your best flour, knead it into dough, and bake, you know, bake some bread, right? So I was thinking we should see what a, what a sia looks like. And uh, so I've got some sias of flour here. And um, what did we say? Three, right? Three sias. So here's part of a sia, right? Because I need you to know how much. Wouldn't that be three guys? Anybody bakers here? Three guys, five pounds of flour makes the bread. Would that not do it? Late people who bake, I bet bakers, I'm not going to be sexist to say ladies, but I, I'm almost, three's pretty good. But that's not a sia. That's not it, three sias yet. Here's, here's, we're getting closer to three sias. Yeah, but we're not done yet. Sarah, go get three sias. Right? And now you're thinking, now that is a lot of bread for those guys. The problem is, we're still not there because it actually, a sia is even more flour than that when they go get Sia, and if you go all the way, this is the minimum amount that three Sias of flour would be, right? So you start doing the math on that, how much bread. We're just going to get you a little food. We're so glad you're here, right? The average loaf of bread, when we bake bread, is used as about a pound of flour. That's, that's kind of what, I, what I've read, and so, hey, here's a loaf of bread that's about a pound of flour, right? So how much flour are we talking about? 25 loaves. But not that big a deal. She just plugged in her bread maker. <laughs> she just, and maybe she had help. Someone said, well, didn't she have servants and that kind of thing? Weren't they wealthy at this point? Yeah, but I hope she did. I mean, I sure hope she had help. But either, regardless, she was the one who was responsible for it. And regardless of that, how generous were they? Right? Here's all this bread. How are these guys going to eat it? I mean, we're serving you 25 loaves of bread. So then Abraham ran out to the herd. He wasn't done yet. He chose a tender calf, or we could say a fatted calf, a really healthy calf, and gave it to his servant. Some people think that was Ishmael, who quickly prepared it, right? Well, that's sort of like slaughtered it. That's what that means. That's how your food gets to you, too, by the way. You just don't see it, right? So what does that mean? Uh, 
you know, you're thinking a little tiny calf or something. Well, the average weight of a nine-month-old calf is about 500 pounds, right? So if you have a 60% meat rate, you know, 40% is lost, but you get 60% of the meat, that would be 300 pounds of meat, right, on, on, on the roaster. And that's about the age, I guess, when some of you maybe know better, you can correct me afterwards, uh, but from my little research, we're getting close to the weaning age, so the milk-fed cows and three, you know, 300 pounds of meat. So when the food was ready, the Bible says, Abraham took some yogurt, doesn't tell us how much, you could only guess how much yogurt, and milk, and the roasted meat, and the bread, and they, he served it to, to the men. And they ate, and Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Right, so he was standing there, waiting on them. He didn't sit down and have the women serve. He waited on them himself. And I've been there before, right? So this is typical of a, of a lot of cultures. When in the Dominican Republic, when we lived there, every so often some of the uh, locals would say, hey, Doug, Lori, why don't you guys come over for supper? And we'd come and we'd sit at the table and the family would stand around us with all the food and they would serve us and watch us eat. And I'm like, no, 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 you sit down too because we're Americans. We're, we don't believe in this. We believe we're all equals around the table. And, and their culture was, no, 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 you, we're all equals. Don't, they weren't saying that, but you are honored. You're honored. We invited you here. This is our hospitality. I'm going, sit down, all right, because I couldn't, I couldn't take it. It was so uncomfortable for me to have them serve. And, and when we were in this trip to Israel the last couple of weeks, our guide told almost the exact same story about being in a Palestinian home. This Middle Eastern culture is, is lots of places in the world where, where hospitality is, is just ingrained. Now, I pause for a moment. I know what some of you are thinking. You came to church today and you go, Doug, 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 that's not a Christmas story. This is a Christmas story. <laughs> right? And, and you're thinking, you know, and don't you just love that one scene? Right? <laughs> And that is my favorite scene in the movie, but it's not that whole picture. My favorite part of the scene is, is this part right here. <laughs> not because of the tongue, but the, look past the tongue to that devil behind him. <laughs> right? And that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. But I know it's not a Christmas story, but, but here's what I want you to catch. There's a cultural insight. Hospitality is a big deal. And I think it's bigger than we can relate to. Because we like our privacy and we like our homes. And especially in Minnesota where it's cold outside, we close the door, we lock the door, we turn off the lights so people won't even think we're home. Okay, to save energy. But not, we don't want to know we're home either. Right? We don't just stop in anywhere anymore. You know, you're never going to look up and go, there's three people at your door. If you do, you're going to get your gun and you're going to walk over. If you have a gun in, you're going to say, well, you know, what do you want? Kind of an attitude. Um, 911, ready on the dial, kind of a moment. But, but in that culture, in that time, hospitality wasn't, it wasn't just kindness, it was survival. They lived on the edge of the wilderness. These guys were probably out of food, out of water. And Abraham looks at him and, and, and he goes, oh, you guys, you gotta, we got to restock you. Here's all this food. We don't expect you to eat it at one meal, 300, that's 100 pounds a piece. No, that's never going to happen. We, we got doggy bags for you. Pack up and take it. We, we, we want you to go on your journey. You know, you're not going to stay here, but... We're going to send you with provisions. Hospitality was fused into the culture. Now, those of you who are following Jesus, it's supposed to be the same with us. When you read scripture, hospitality is supposed to be 
a part of our DNA, our spiritual DNA. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 13, 1 through 3 says. It says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Okay, that's the low bar. That's just, hey, we're family, brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's treat each other well. Let's love each other well. But then he goes on, he says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Right? That's exactly what Abraham did. And it goes on, it says, for some who have done this entertained angels without realizing it. And that's what Abraham did. He didn't know, but those three men were actually messengers of God, angels, right? And they were coming and they predicted the birth of, of Sarah's son, right? Isaac. And they predicted some other things. They went on. You can read the Bible for yourself as far as all those other stories go. But they were angels, but Abraham had no clue when he ran out, greeted them, prepared the food, showed them hospitality. And it says the same thing happens today. Some of us can entertain strangers. You just don't, you just don't know. And it goes on. It says, remember those in prison. So the bar is going up, strangers who come to your door, but also remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your bodies. You know what I mean? That just, we're supposed to be so, this hospitality, this love is supposed to flow through us. We're supposed to give a rip and really care about, about other people. And all I really want you to catch right now is hospitality was fused into the culture. So when Sarah got that phone call, you know, because I'm sure Abraham called her on the cell. Hey, three guys just showed up. We're going to offer them some food. I think she felt all the stress we feel. Right? Three, see us? Are you kidding me? I'll be baking for, you know, forever. Kind of a moment. Now, I want to fast forward to another story. In fact, we're going to show the same story in two other passages. It's one that you might be more familiar with. And it involves hospitality. So it involves Jesus, who you're familiar with, and then two sisters named Martha and Mary and their brother, anybody? Lazarus, right. So we're going to John chapter 12. This is the first version of the story I'm going to show you. This happened near Jesus' death, before Jesus' death, but near his death. A few weeks back, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Right? You can read, go read that for yourself. But he raised Lazarus from the dead. When you do that, people are grateful, especially sisters. Right? So just get that context. And people are pretty excited about it. How, how couldn't they be? How would you be if someone raised your brother from the dead? Kind of a moment. So here's what it says. Six days before the Passover celebration began, so we're of a week out before Jesus' death. Right? Jesus arrived in Bethany, this, this little village city, right, just right adjacent to Jerusalem, right? Right now it's all lost in the city, but it's right, right there. It was the home of Lazarus and his sisters, the man that had been raised from the dead, just in case you forgot, right? A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Does that make a lot of sense? Because after, after he raised Lazarus, Jesus went to a place called Ephraim where he hid out because the notoriety, the pressure was up and his life was at risk. So he ran to a place, and we actually went there. It's so cool because there's still some houses left. These houses were all built on top of a network of tunnels and caves. So you could go into a house, and if the Romans came or if the Pharisees and the religious leaders came looking for you, you could dive into the tunnel and go to the neighbor's house, right, and then to another neighbor's house. And if they went to that house, then you could go to the tunnel back to the house that they already checked. Beautiful system. And that's where Jesus went. We never, we never get all that detail from Scripture, but if you go there, you can see those things. So that's where he was. He comes back, and they go, Jesus is back. 
We got to give him a dinner. We got to honor him. If it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for him, Lazarus would be dead. So Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him, right? And that I think is like, see, he's really alive. He ate with them. Now let me ask you, what's missing from that paragraph? Maybe who's missing? Mary. You got Jesus. I'm sure it includes the twelve disciples. You got Lazarus eating, and you got Martha serving. What was Mary doing? And the Bible does tell us. It says, Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. Don't you love the essence of nard? You got some of that at home? You know, so when I read something like that, I go, what is it? What is the essence of nard? Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a perfume. It's very expensive. It costs a year's wages, a year of your income to buy this 12 ounces, right? This is extravagant healing ointment right and guess what it doesn't come from israel you want to know where it came from it still does it comes from the himalayas three thousand miles away as the crow flies right so what kind of a journey is that now you know why nard is so stinking expensive and why i won't buy any for Lori. i don't care what she says (laughs) there's no nard in our home that's for sure all right but now you understand why Wow, what was she doing? She took this 12-ounce jar, a year's income, and what is she doing? It says, then she took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled of fragrance. Now, i got to be honest with you. When you just read those three verses, because we're, the, the conflict comes below it, when you just read those three verses, you go, wow, it's like Norman Rockwell. Everybody's happy. Jesus is being honored. Martha is serving with a good spirit. Mary's down on the floor wiping and washing Jesus' feet. And the, the room smells awesome. Nobody can believe that's such an extravagant affair. This, 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 and, but you know what you miss when you look at a picture like this? You miss the fight about who's baking cookies. You miss, it's your turn to set the table. Well, I did it yesterday. She should be doing it. You miss, when you look at a picture like this, everything looks, by the way, it's how we romanticize Christmas too. You forgot all the conflict you had last year. And now you're signing up to do it again. Right? And after Christmas, all the gifts, you forgot that empty feeling that the gifts are open, but my heart's not full. You forget all that stuff and, and, you, and we paint a beautiful picture. And that's kind of what, what we see from what John, but here's what, John, what John wants to get to, he's just setting us up. What he wants to get to is what happens next, which I'm not even going to read to you. I'll give you a clue. Mary got attacked by one of his disciples for wasting a lot of money. And Jesus rose up and defended Mary. But that's, you can read that yourself. All I want you to catch is this hospitality, this love being poured out, and, and what's taking place there. So now we're going to jump to Luke 10, because it's the same exact story, Jesus, Martha, and Mary. But Luke has a totally different agenda when he shares the story. He doesn't even talk about the disciple getting upset about the waste of money. Right? Here's how it reads when he writes about it. He says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, that means on their way to death, Right? On their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village, we know it's Bethany, where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So Martha's out there going, hospitality, come on. I don't know if she ran and bowed down at his feet. I'm guessing she probably did. And come into the home. We're so glad you've honored us by being here. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. We know either at this point or another point, she got out that the essence of nard. But at this point, she doesn't sound like she's done it. She's sitting at his feet, and she's listening to him teach. But Martha 
was distracted by the big Christmas, I mean, I'm sorry, the big dinner. Isn't that just like Christmas? She's distracted by the work. She's distracted by the details. She's distracted by the rush. She was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing because she knew it was intuitive. We have to be hospitality. We have to honor Jesus. We've, there's three seas of bread to bake. We've got to go find the fatted calf. We've got to honor, honor Jesus. And you know what she's feeling? She's feeling all the stress you feel. It's all coming down at her at one point in time during this meal with Jesus in the house. So she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? By the way, how upset must she be to bring this to Jesus? I mean, I would have gone to Lazarus if I was her. Hey, Lazarus, you know how lazy Mary is. (laughs) She goes straight to Jesus. And by the way, how familiar and intimate must she be with Jesus to go and and have this kind of comfortable with him, right? So she goes and she whines about her sister who's sitting at his feet, listening in on his teaching, right? So tell her to come and help me. And he could have done it. Instead, he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. Right? You're worried and upset about all this stuff. Now, when you read in Scripture a name being said twice by, by God or by Jesus, it's kind of a big deal. It's hard to know that unless you have the whole Word of God kind of in your head and it rings bells for you, right? But let me take you back to some other places where the name is repeated twice. And by the way, some of our Bibles, including mine, I had to add it in because it's what it says in the original text. But current translation, it just says Martha, dear Martha. It doesn't, it doesn't repeat it. It just says dear Martha. It should be Martha, Martha, and it's intentional because other places, it's almost always this very intimate relationship that God has with this person and or a calling from something they were doing or being to something new to do and be, right? So if you think about Moses, 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 come closer to this burning bush. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground you're standing on. And Moses goes from being a shepherd to being the Messiah for slaves of Israel in Egypt, right? He goes to being the one who brings them out, right? Jacob, Jacob, this is when Jacob is older and he's afraid to go to Egypt. He says, I want you to leave the land, the Canaan that you're in now, and I want you to come to Egypt and you will die there. <laughs> oh, I'm on my way. Um, but that was where he was going to go with, with his family. It was going to save them from, from the drought. And you can go read your Bibles and know that story. Samuel, Samuel is a young man or a young boy. And he's being called, instead of being just the servant to the prophet, he's going to be the prophet. And God speaks to him. Saul, Saul, Saul was persecuting Christians. Saul later became Paul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Stop persecuting me and become the missionary, the church planner you were meant to be. I've got such great plans for you. And I've seen your passion. I've seen your zeal. I think that's why God reached out to him. It's just, what a passionate person. He just didn't have the truth. He was just chasing the wrong thing, but his passion, his sincerity was all there. And then Simon, Simon, Peter, that's the other name for Peter, right? Jesus is the last night of the supper. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you to be sifted like wheat, right? What was he talking about? You're going to go through hell in the next 24 hours. You're going to watch me die. You're going to deny me three times, and you are going to hate yourself. Did he say all those things? No, but that's what it implied. And when you get done hating yourself, and when we're back together again, there's a job for you to do. And I've got plans. You're the rock. 
And this is where Jesus was headed with this, this conversation. And he was actually praying for Simon Peter because of what he's going to face. Moses, Moses, Jacob, Jacob, Samuel, Samuel, Martha, 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 Martha. All the details, all the stuff, all the meals, all the pressure, all the rush, you're focused on the wrong things. You're worried and upset about all these details. But there's only one thing worth being concerned about. You lack focus. And Mary's discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. Right? Martha, Martha, you've got to leave what you're doing and follow what Mary's doing. She's found the one thing. You know? And think about it for a moment. She's worried about a big meal for who? For Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, Martha, I fed 5,000 people. I fed 4,000 people another time, and their kids, and their spouses. I fed thousands and thousands, and you're worried about a meal? You're all upset? And look at Mary. She's figured it out. She's a part of this. So what did Mary do right? Mary knew where Christmas was. And she didn't call it Christmas, but she knew that Christmas is, always has been, at the feet of Jesus. That's Christmas. It's at the feet of Jesus. It was true for the shepherds. It was true a couple years later for the wise men. It's been true for his disciples as they followed him at the feet of Jesus. It was true for Mary, and it's true for us. It's at the feet of Jesus. But let me tell you what Mary did, right? Kind of break it down just a little bit. Number one, she didn't allow culture, cultural expectations to bully her. Right? Do you know how hard it must have been for Mary to stay seated? or just be seated in the first place. She knew all the work that had to be done. She knew what her role should typically be. She knew the meal was there. She knew Martha was breaking her back doing those things. But she's like, I'm not going to miss this. I'm not going to miss this. I'm going to be right at the feet of Jesus. But, but her wiring had to be, according to the culture, hospitality is fused into her. It still is today. Right? What else did she do? She said no to good. Is there anything wrong with what Mary or yeah, with what Martha was doing? No. She was honoring Jesus. She was preparing food. She was serving Jesus. She was serving the disciples. She was doing hospitable things. That's supposed to be in all of our DNA. It's supposed to be part of who we are. But she knew to say no to the expectations of her culture, and she knew to say no to good things. Why? So she could say yes to better. This is it. If you're going to get through Christmas, we've got to say no to some things so we can get better. We look at all of this stuff, and the lights are bright, and it's shiny, and it says, you've got to do all this stuff. But you've got to find time to do something completely different. And the light's got to go down on the outside, and they've got to come up at the feet of Jesus. This is what we want to... If we're successful this next three, four weeks, we'll see the lights getting brighter and brighter on the manger and dimmer and dimmer on the background. This is, this is our challenge. We live in a culture that has so much expectations. You could tell me, if I talked to each one of you, you would tell me what your family's expectations of you. Maybe you have to go somewhere. Maybe you have to serve somebody. Maybe you have to host a big event. Maybe you've got to make sure this is the best Christmas ever for your kids. God forbid they don't get everything they want. Right? So i got some questions for us. Here's the first one. What expectations are our bullies? By the way, you might want to write these down because I don't think you can answer them right now. 
I think this takes thought. I think this takes conversation. I think some of us have to talk some loved ones off the ledge, right? Hey, your culture is beating you up. You're doing things. Hey, Martha, be, be kind about it. But Martha, come on, you're, are we really supposed to be focused on that? It's a cultural thing. It's not a biblical thing. It's not a good thing. I mean, it might be good, but it's not great, right? So what expectations are bullying us around? What good can we omit? What good things can we say no to? I mean, this is such a silly example, but um, a couple of years ago, Lori and I, we had Christmas without the kids because they're growing up and off the payroll. And so we went and we cut down the tree, you know, because we do that at our house the way God intended. And then we bring the tree home <laughs> and we put it up and there's minor disagreements about the tree. And, and then the lighting, of course, that has a little stress to it. And we get it all, all up there and Lori looks at it and she goes, no, I hate putting up ornaments. And I said, oh, that's too bad because I'm not doing it. <laughs> so we said no to something that's perfectly good. Nothing's wrong with ornaments. We had none that year. <laughs> we just had a white, white lit tree. And you know what? Jesus was still the same Jesus. And Christmas was still Christmas. And nothing's wrong with ornaments. But it was awesome not to put them up. And it was awesomer not to take them down again. <laughs> Right? But sometimes, just for sanity's sake, what can we not do? What can we simplify? What can we get out of? It's just, it's just noise. Do we need all of that noise? And then, what better can we add? Right? How do we celebrate Christmas at Jesus' feet? So I wanted to give you one idea. And in, when you came in today, I gave you, I didn't give it to you, but you were handed a card that says on one side, the magic of Christmas. This is a Christmas devotional reading uh, for the next until from now until Christmas. You can do each day. If you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phones, you can or on your whatever computer device, you can access it there. Just go to the reading plans. This gives you instructions if you don't have it how to go get that get that app. But if you don't like the idea of putting an app on your phone, we put every daily reading on the back so that each day you can have a time of reading and time of prayer and ask yourself what does this have to do with Christmas as you read it, because there's just some of them very short, some of them are a little bit longer, but you can read them each day. And if you go to the website, there's actually a devotional with a few paragraphs, kind of like our daily bread type of thing, um, for each day that you can read along. We just wanted to give you a tool, a way to sit at Jesus' feet. You may have your own personal habits set up that help you to do that, your own reading plan, but you might want to use this for the next few days, next 20-something days, and then maybe after that you start another reading plan with the new year. But how do we sit at Jesus' feet? That's part of coming to church. I hope it is that we're sitting at Jesus' feet. So what expectations are our bullies? What good can we omit? This is how we simplify and get on track again. And what better things can we add? Let me take you back to that wonderful quote. If you have too much to do with God's help, you will find time to do it all. That is insanity. God doesn't give you more time. And God will not help you do it all. But if I could rearrange the quote, it would look like this. If we have too much to do with God's help, we can change the list. We can change the list to what reflects what he wants us to do, what he wants our focus to be on, what really needs to happen. And things that we can't do, maybe they weren't that important in the first place. All right, we're almost done. I just got to give you one bonus question. All right, so here's the bonus question. What would God, why would God repeat your name today? We were just on this Israel trip, and I, I've heard my name repeated a few times. 
right? Because I would say something smart-alecky, amazing. And the group would go, oh, Doug, 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 Doug. Right? They're repeating. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when God says to me, Doug, Doug, I got to call you to something better. I got to call you away from this. In the beginning, it was away from how I was trying to fill up on life, where I was finding my fulfillment, where I was finding my meaning into a relationship with him. Doug, I want you to become my kid instead of living far away from me. And other times he said, Doug, Doug, I want you to get focused again. Doug, Doug, I need you to go to school. I I know you didn't want to be a pastor. Who would? But I I want you to do that. Whatever it is, there's this Doug, Doug moment, and he's still doing that to me. He's directing me by saying, Doug, Doug. My question is, do you hear God say your name twice? Because he has that desire to be intimate with you, and he has a desire to direct you. And this is between you and God. You have to figure out all the answers. I can only ask questions at this church, so let's pray, all right? God, as we stand before you, I pray we hear you just say our names. And I pray that you repeat them because it reflects your love for us and your call on our lives. Help us to respond. And God, when it comes to all this Christmas stuff, would you help us to sit at your feet and to give you the very, very best stuff? In Jesus' name, amen.